0: All right, then I guess we'll just get started here. So uh, before I begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is September 29th, 2020. My name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Thomas Teague, who is in... What's your current location in Indiana?
1: No, I'm in Denver.
0: Oh, you're in Denver. That's right. That's right. You're in Colorado. Okay. Was in Denver, Colorado, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. Um, so, just starting off, when and where were you born?
1: Um, I was born in Anderson in 1942.
0: Okay, and uh, what were your parents' names?
1: My father was Frank, and my mother's first name was Lenifred.
0: Okay. And uh, how did your family get to Indiana originally? Um, I don't know. I think multi generations before my father. I okay. Uh, I
1: don't. I don't really know the answer to that. Except it was. Uh, it was. Um, way before my father. My father was born in Anderson as well, and and
0: uh, maybe even his father. Okay. Wow. Okay. And uh, what were your parents' occupations? Uh, my mother was um,
1: worked for Indiana Bell and was a housewife really most of her life. My father was uh, uh, a, a UAW union leader.
2: Oh,
0: okay. Interesting. Um, did you have any siblings at all?
1: I have a sister and a brother both.
0: And uh, how would you describe your childhood overall?
1: I would say it was uh, a unique one in the sense that my father was a, a very, very active in politics, of course, yeah. as a union leader.
2: Sure. And uh, from the time I was very young, he sort of had planned a political career
1: for me. And uh, Wow. And uh, all, you know, he was also a professional athlete. He, he uh,
2: played professional baseball. And, um, wow. and so growing up in
1: Indiana, when I did basketball, playing high school basketball was sort of the ultimate uh, goal of every young Hoosier. And so uh, he, he was very instrumental in
0: motivating me to um, excel in classroom and, uh, in, in uh, athletics and to take an interest in government and politics. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. And uh, how long did your dad play professional baseball?
1: Uh, three or four years. He, he um, signed with the Cincinnati Reds but never made it to the major leagues. But he,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he had a good career. He was a really, really good athlete.
2: Yeah,
0: wow, that's really cool. Um, and so it kind of sounds like your dad was perhaps the most influential person in your childhood. Would you say that's correct, or was it kind of a, a split between your your dad and someone else?
1: No, I think my father was the primary influence. My, uh, uh, my, um, there were many other people who who uh, were in his network or part of his um, his environment that had an influence on me. I, when I was young, he would take me to visit the congressman and, for our district and, you know, it was a very unusual childhood in that respect. Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: And um, so what understanding, I know you da- you mentioned your dad was involved with unions. And uh, what understanding of politics did you have from your childhood?
1: Well, I would say way more than the average person because I was um, I was exposed to it yeah. in, in the deep into the pool. For example, um, JFK came to Anderson in the nineteen sixty campaign, mm-hmm. and um, my father. There's a I have a picture of. My father and JFK uh, walking up the uh, pathway to our house. Right. So he, my father, had a lot of in those days. Uh, the UAW local in and Anderson was the because of Delco Remi, uh, which is now gone. But in those days, uh, he had eighteen thousand members in the union and. Um, So he was a powerhouse in uh, the Democratic Party, so... Wow. uh, Yeah, so
0: JFK, uh, I got to meet him um, in 1960 there in Anderson, and he gave a speech in Anderson. That's really cool. Wow, very interesting. And what was it like meeting him then? Did you get to talk to him much at
2: all, or...?
1: Only a few words, but yeah, he, he just said he hoped I would consider public service as a career and and uh, I, I uh, the picture shows uh, shows him with two sheriff's deputies there I don't
2: there might have been a secret service presence there probably was he was just a candidate then I think it was in October maybe yeah but um,
1: there's a YouTube of his speech in in Anderson and as I saw I could probably look it up. But anyway, the thing that I was most intrigued by was um, uh,
0: why he would come to Indiana in the late stages of that campaign when it was very unlikely Indiana would be competitive. Right. Sure.
1: So that's the level of understanding I had had of politics. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. And how did he do in Indiana that that, uh, that year?
1: I don't remember, but of course Nixon carried Indiana. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matthew Welsh was elected governor, however, so um, a
2: Democrat was elected governor that year. Yeah. So, but I don't remember the margin. But I, I was still
1: surprised that uh, he would take the time to make an appearance in Indiana.
0: Sure. Sure. Um. What schools did you attend as a child and teenager?
1: Well, he went to public schools and um, um, pretty, pretty routine, yeah, uh,
2: academic uh, programs t- from elementary through high school. Uh, mm-hmm. I did, I did because of my father's priority setting. I, I did play high school basketball in Anderson, which was. Kind of a big deal, and um, then I went to Anderson College. um,
1: uh, Did um, then I did went into the Air Force right after that, and the Air Force sent me to get my master's degree. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I went to the local college because um, that was also that besides the union, the second biggest constituency and Anderson was the college
0: yeah okay interesting and would you say you had pretty good educational experiences overall or
1: uh, well they got better as I went along I my uh, master's degree was at the University of Oklahoma and that in public administration that was uh, that was Really, a pretty good program. Then I went to IU Law School, and then after law school, I, I spent some time at the Harvard Kennedy School.
0: Oh, okay, great. And uh, what favorite subjects did you have growing up in school?
1: Well, at the college level, it was political science. It, uh, in high school, I think I was more of an athlete than a been too interested in the courses, probably history though. Oh, okay, sure.
0: And uh, did you have any particular views of Indiana or what it meant to be like a hoosier uh, growing up? Well, I think it was limited by the by growing up in Anderson. I think it was pretty much um,
1: a view of small town. Indiana. I think maybe yeah. Anderson was hundred thousand or so at that time, but it was yeah. Um, that's my. That was my view of Indiana, and it was pretty um, non progressive. I guess I would say it was pretty okay. Slow, slow paced, and a
2: uh, lot of room for uh, for improvement. I would say in the in the political world in Indiana sure Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, did you have uh, any changes in your political developments as you got older and matured well not really I was elected at 28 so uh, okay yeah I so when I graduated from college I
1: went in the Air Force when I left the Air Force I was elected so um Probably the most interesting thing about that story is that I I ran in the Democratic primary in 1970 while I was in Saigon.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. No, no, not at all. (laughs) But so my views didn't change because I'm not sure I may still be the youngest person ever elected to the state senate yeah I, that may have, that may have changed uh, but if not i'm you know twenty five is the constitutional requirement age
0: yeah yeah that's pretty wild
1: so i I didn't have a lot of time to change my views
0: mhm sure sure and uh when if at all did you get married
1: uh um in uh, 1970 or 1967, I had a short marriage. I was in the Air Force
0: and uh, didn't work out too well. Then I remarried in uh, 78. Still married to that person. Okay, got it. And what's your wife's name? Louise. Louise, okay. And do you have any children?
1: I have one son, Andrew.
0: Okay. Now, do you think that your, your family influenced your career much at all, or?
1: I would say 100%, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, if your father is a professional athlete and leader of a group of 18,000 people, mm-hmm. uh, pretty hard not to be <laughs> sure dominated by that.
0: Yeah. What about your uh, wife and son?
1: Well, my wife worked for uh, a variety of not for profits oh, okay. over the years and is retired. And my son is uh, here in the Denver area and works for an organization in California remotely.
0: Yeah. And so when you first got involved in politics and you're running as a candidate, what were the key issues or legislation you wanted to champion or fight against?
1: Um, well, uh, as I said, I ran in the May 1970 primary from Vietnam against two opponents. There was a Republican incumbent, and um, I, I would... I would say in the primary the the big issue was simply name recognition. Yeah. My father had a very prominent name and and I I had also from kind of being a basketball star and going to the local college. So it was pretty much in the primary there weren't many issue differences. It was pretty much name recognition and um uh, in the general election, my, uh, the, my incumbent opponent, uh, I think felt like he would win easily. And, uh, um, and so I don't remember him being very active. I don't think we debated mm-hmm. and, I, and I focused on issues
2: of, um, that, that were the general kind of platform of the democratic party. And, um, I had, um, you know, had some views coming out of Vietnam,
1: of course, but those are mostly federal. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I would say I didn't deviate too much from the orthodoxy of the Democratic
0: Party and the general election. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I would say my election win was due way more to, again, name recognition and, um, I campaigned full
2: time once I got home got home in July. Yeah. And the election was in November I campaigned full time. So I don't think it was issue oriented really.
0: Okay, sure. And did you have like a particular campaign strategy at all or Well, yes, it was to outwork my opponent, outspend my opponent. Okay. Put, put the um put the coalition together that my father had, uh, been cultivating all those years. And I, I,
1: at that time in Anderson, Indiana, being a Vietnam veteran did not have the negative connotation that it did a little bit later in the seventies. And so mm-hmm. you know, I won a few medals while I was there. And I, I, I feel like the fact that I, uh, my story was pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, And, um, and I, I think, um, perhaps even the, um, if there was a number one issue, it was that Madison County did not have a state senator in those, in the 1970 election, we had joint state senators. We didn't have single member districts. And so my, the district I ran in was Madison, Henry, and, and, uh, I've forgotten what county Fordville's in, but uh, Hancock, I guess. Uh, and so the two senators were, so those three counties had two state senators, one from Henry Newcastle, one from Hancock-Fortville. So Madison County was the sixth largest state, a county in the state, and did not have a state senator. So I, I won Madison County by... I don't know, eight or nine thousand votes. Wow! And, and so I, I think the um, if there was an issue, it wasn't partisan. It was
0: we should have. You know, we're big enough. We should have a state senator. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, what was your first election day like?
1: Uh, you know, I really don't remember the details. I was very confident that uh, I was going to win. Mm-hmm. The uh, the democratic machinery in those days in Anderson was ten times better than the Republican machinery, and uh, okay. and the national trends. You know, it was Nixon won in '68, and so the party usually loses seats in Congress in '70, and yeah. and the national trend was was Democratic, and. Uh,
2: Larry Conrad won the Secretary of State's office that year, so the generic ballot for Indiana was leaning Democratic. So, yeah, it was it was. I had I knew I had outworked him and outspent
1: him, and so I, I really felt pretty confident. I didn't think I'd win by the margin; I did.
0: Hmm. Did your campaign strategies change throughout your political career? Well, the next time I ran was 74 when a hamburger could have been elected Democrat um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) because it was the Watergate (laughs) year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't even, I don't believe I campaigned at all. Okay.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I was at Harvard when Nixon resigned from office, and it was August of 74, and uh, So I I took my election so for granted I wasn't even in the state
2: for for most of the run-up to it. Wow.
1: Yeah. And my uh, opponent didn't campaign either, so... Okay. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So uh, what were you thinking as you walked into the State House for your first official day in office? As, as I said, based on my father's influence, I uh, Frank O'Bannon
1: was elected that same year mm-hmm. and several other very prominent dem- Democrats, Wayne Townsend had been in the House he was elected to the Senate in '78. and, and um, that class had uh, two future congressmen in it and, and of course Governor O'Bannon uh, so I uh, I was prepared for.
2: Uh, I've gotten to know all of them during the summer, yeah. and my 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 first goal was to um, establish that I would be an extremely confident legislator, and my goal was to get into leadership.
0: Sure. Okay. And. Uh, Were expectations for the legislative process kind of what you were expecting when you arrived, or was it a little bit different than you were expecting? Well, I think I would have to categorize that in two different ways.
1: Okay. One was my own personal agenda, which, as I said, was to get elected to leadership within the caucus. And so that went exactly as I planned, and I was elected caucus chairman, Um, very very early in my first term as far as the process
2: itself it was um, it was run the senate president pro tem was Phil Goodman I don't know how much of this history you know but he was indicted and went to prison Wow! and so the process itself was
1: um uh, my own personal agenda process went as planned. Mm-hmm. The process of how the Senate worked was uh, pretty askew.
0: Okay. Interesting. And so how did you learn the ins and outs of the Senate? Um, well, first of all, I studied the rules. I wanted to be a sort
1: of many parliamentarian Yeah. And secondly, I was. I was... From day one, I was in Frank O'Bannon's orbit, and his father had been a senator, state senator, as you may know. So he was; uh, his father had been the state senator, I think, for twenty years. Mm-hmm. So I latched on to Frank O'Bannon and Bob Fair, and some of the other leading um, lights of the Democratic Caucus, and and um, got the committee assignments I wanted, and and. Uh, careful about the bills I spoke on and so on, so it was very calculated.
0: Yeah, okay. And uh, how did you go about understanding the needs and wants of your constituents?
1: Well, I think in the first term I did a pretty good job of having regular town hall meetings and uh, Chamber of Commerce had Saturday sessions every Weekend during the session, and of course, my father was still active in the union, and I got plenty of feedback from them. Um, the lobbyists, uh, of course, tried hard to keep us informed, and I had I had a very deep network in Anderson. So, mm-hmm. if there was a banking issue, talk to my banker. And yeah. So I. Um, um, I very quickly learned how to use legislative staff better than my colleagues. We didn't have much staff in those
2: days, but mm-hmm. when I became caucus chairman, I I was able to use our staff to a great effect to help our caucus members. So we did a daily digest of the bills that would be on the floor and, and, um, we were very advanced in terms of keeping members
1: um, informed from a snapshot perspective of what was in the bill and what yeah. the consequences were. So it all came it all really just came down as Mitch McConnell would say to to providing whatever my fellow senators needed. Yeah, sure. It was more tactical than policy by a long shot.
0: Right. Yeah, it sounds like it. What was the first bill you sponsored? I well, it kind of came out of Vietnam. I I think the first bill was uh,
1: to repeal the death penalty. Oh, okay. Interesting. That that was uh, did not make me an immediate hit. Right. In, uh, very many circles, but um, and of course it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I didn't really care, though.
0: Yeah. I understand. Uh what was the regular interactions like amongst members of the general assembly, formal and informal?
1: Well, um I really feel like I served in the golden age of of the state senate. Um John Mutz was in there. Bob Orr. The Senate at that time had Mutz and Orr and O'Bannon and um, yeah. an incredible array of talent. Yeah. And uh, we all got along there. I was maybe one of the most partisan. Oh wow. Probably, okay. I think my colleagues would say that. Yeah. Uh, but but at any rate, uh, Bob Orr and I became great friends. We. We sat, he sat in the back row because there were more Republican senators and um, so he sat over on the Democratic side of the aisle and sat right behind me and when we got to be
2: great friends and stayed great friends and we ran against each other for Lieutenant Governor in 74. Yeah. And uh, so
1: it was extremely collegial, you know, I stayed in touch with John Mutz and Mm-hmm. um and lots of and so it was uh it was very very um professional and collegial yeah that's good. and um so i would it was uh, probably lost a lot of that as time went on, yeah yeah that's
2: that's kind
0: of I've heard that before, yeah um, what about the differences between the majority and the minority parties?
1: Well, other than they had more than we did um, as I mentioned, the pro tem got in a little trouble and uh yeah and i, I, I do think um, the the our caucus was much younger more diverse okay, Um, but
2: much younger I mean we probably had um, I think it was 28 to 22 something like that my first year I don't really remember might have been 30 20 but yeah uh, we had very very
1: incredibly bright young people under 40 in our caucus and the and we were interested in change, and the Republican Party had very, very bright people too, but they tended to be older
0: than forty, and pretty much status quo. Yeah. Uh, and so I would, I would say those were the differences primarily. Okay. And uh, were there any differences between the House and Senate?
1: Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I really don't know. I think that'd be a very long answer, but uh, the <laughs> yeah. short answer would be that I think we were way more deliberative and moved at a slower
2: pace and we were content to let the house for the most part generate legislation, mm-hmm. send it to us. And then we would be more deliberative,
1: um, Right. um I but you know I could give you a thousand differences we yeah. don't have time but i would I would say that if you looked at the membership as I mentioned we had um we had two governors two future governors in the Senate we had Julie Carson was also there during my time we had so three or four people went to Congress
2: yeah
1: and I would say the star power in the Senate that's a little biased, probably, but mm-hmm.
2: but um, was was way way higher.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of big names. It's true.
1: Well, you know, Townsend went on to run for governor, and uh, yeah. So it was, yeah. I would say, uh, and Julia Carson was a very formidable
0: person, to say the least. Sure. And uh, what did you think about the the process for generating a bill? Was that did that seem pretty straightforward to you, or is it complex and there was a learning curve? Or well, actually, I don't think it's very complex. You know, the legislative mm-hmm. council uh, took the basic concept yeah. and put it into uh, into an enactment document. Uh, I think there were, there were way, way too many bills introduced okay. to satisfy a lobbyist or a constituent. Um, yeah. but no, I don't, I, all the legislator had to do was say, I want to introduce a bill to end the death penalty and two mm-hmm. or three days later it appeared. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh. Did you ever find it tricky to garner support for your legislation, or was it, or did you kind of know going in what bills would be supported or not? Well, I think people introduce bills for different reasons, not all of which are to get them enacted. Um, yeah. And sometimes they're to make a statement and so
2: on. But, um, and if I really wanted a bill passed, uh, of course I. As caucus chairman, I knew how to count, and yeah. and how
1: to get Republican
2: sponsors. Um, mm-hmm. So again, I, um, I, I, I don't think the only reason someone introduces the bill is to get it passed,
1: and it may just be to start the process where a bill I introduced in 71 might finally become law in 77. Mm-hmm. So so, it's not a failure if it doesn't get enacted in the session that you first introduced it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, when people were voting on legislation, did you have a pretty good idea of uh, what way people were going to vote?
1: Every time.
0: Yeah,
1: okay. Well, you can't really afford surprises. Yeah, um, yeah it's true. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure the Republicans had to... Um, I have told other people that, you know, we went to caucus every day before we went down to the floor. Mm-hmm. And, and we knew, we we knew, I would say 99% of the time uh, how the vote was going to go. And if someone wanted to change their vote, they had to come talk to leadership. I mean, they could do it if they wanted to, but yeah. they needed to let us know.
0: Right, right. And, uh, what about the role of party leadership? How significant was party leadership in, in sort of dictating how things went in the General Assembly? Well, since I was in it, you
1: can't really expect me to give you a very fair, unbiased <laughs> answer. That's okay. <laughs> so, you know, in 77, 78, I was majority leader. Yeah. I'm In fact, I'm the last Democratic Senate majority leader. Wow, yeah. That's how long it's been since the Democrats have yeah. had control of the Senate. And so from my perspective, the whole reason my goal is to get into leadership is that's where the action is. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So I would say it was, um, in today's world, just ask Mitch McConnell how important that is.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So I would say it's uh, it's
2: very hard to overestimate how important it is.
0: Yeah. Now, what was the relationship between Democrats or Republicans in your time? Was it easy to work with the other side, or uh, did it become more complex later on, or was it always complex? Um. I don't know. I think you and I have a basic divergence on, uh, I mean, I appreciate your questions and sure, sure. very good questions, but you the
2: premise of most of your questions is that the, uh, that the interaction was, um, uh, influenced by policy or by partisanship or by, mm-hmm. um, uh, the nature of specific bills, or sure, or whatever, and and my experience was that the relationships, while those things all mattered and were taken into account, yeah, the the relationships, uh, as far as Bob Orr and I were concerned, I
1: was probably as good a friend with him as um, as I was Frank O'Bannon and and. and um, admired him and respected him mm-hmm. and and it had nothing to do with he was a Republican and I was a Democrat and so I at least for me the um, relationships were not based on they were based on mutual respect right and I don't know how they could vary by complexity
2: because mm-hmm. you know we, I, I would say in a typical session we cast Maybe five hundred roll call
1: votes yeah and and it's almost um it would it would take somebody who was a minutiae expert to look at the pattern of voting and yeah. associate it with a rhythm of of um partisan conflict, or sure, yeah, you know, there were a lot of unanimous votes,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think that's you raise a, a good point about that because I think today, especially, uh, you know, when people are, are thinking about politics and relationships between opposing parties, they don't see there really any room for, uh, you know, being polite to each other at all. I think people pretty much get this opinion that it's all cutthroat. Um, and uh, so I think it's, it's good that you point that out. Uh, do you think that that changed over time? Did it seem like it was harder to develop those normal relationships with uh, members of the, of the opposing party over time?
1: Well, I only served two terms. Um, yeah. And in that time, I would say, no, they, they, they didn't change very much. I think what's happened in Indiana from a person who's been in and out of Indiana yeah. since, since I was uh, left office... Um, the Democratic Party in the legislature is essentially a non-factor
0: yeah and we were a big factor uh, in the eight years that I served even though we were only in the majority two years but if, if you can't even stop a quorum if, yeah. if the opposition has a super majority it leaves you to whining and complaining yeah yeah it's yeah pretty lopsided right now for sure mm-hmm. um what would you say the public doesn't know about the Indiana General Assembly and and how it operates
1: well that would take about a library <laughs> yeah probably I so i don't think the public knows very much at all yeah about it man maybe they don't care i i think some do yeah
2: but i i also
1: think the media uh Misunderstood the process, with some exceptions during my eight years, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think what goes on behind closed doors is pretty much totally unknown to the general public, and and to a high degree unknown to the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I often said if the media only knew how to ask the right question, they could learn a lot. But um, yeah. <laughs> I, I I just don't think uh, the process lends itself to sunshine. If you know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. No, I understand. What were the most controversial legislative issues uh, during your time?
1: Well, probably equal rights amendment. I was the Senate sponsor of that when it passed. Yeah. That was pretty controversial.
0: Yeah. Um daylight savings time always seemed controversial Mm -hmm. um there were
1: I don't know really I guess specifically dozens and dozens of them that revolved around something like the quack laetral cure
0: for cancer or yeah um but I
1: would say there were really not that many I I I you know, the bulk of our time was taken up with a recodification of the criminal procedure laws, and it was taken up by things that did not generate a tremendous amount of heat. Occasionally, mm-hmm. they did, but I, I, you know, when I think of what the typical session was like, only a small slice of the time was, revolved around deep controversy, I think. For one thing, leadership would keep controversy off the floor if if they felt like it would take too much legislative time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I remember reading a bit about uh, your role in the ERA legislation. Um, how hard did you have to fight for that? Was it Was it easy to get that passed, or would you say that was pretty tough? Um, Well, I would, I would say um,
1: tough from the amount of time it took to to um, position it properly. Um, You know, I it was people don't remember exactly how hard the, um, the right element of the Republican party was opposed. I remember debating Phyllis Schlafly mm-hmm. and there were thousands of people at that debate. Um, I think the today show covered the Senate chamber the day it passed. You've probably read the story about how I got Rosalind Carter involved, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so from that standpoint, the, one of the biggest factors was Senator Garden, um, who was also one of my best friends. Uh, he and I—he was elected in 1970 as well. Um, Senator Garden was a
2: co-sponsor of the um, Equal Rights
1: Resolution in January
2: '77, and of course, we needed his vote. Yeah, yeah. But
1: it, I would say, um, it was not easy keeping our caucus together. Witness, you know, Wayne Townsend saying the day of he might not vote for it. Right. Sure. And and hence the
0: call to Mrs. Carter. So we were willing to, you know, to play some pretty big cards. Yeah. And what would you say to, like, sort of summarize for for people that might listen to us in the future that aren't too familiar with with, uh, the context of it? What were the biggest arguments for and against, and who were making those arguments?
1: Um, Well, I think the opposition sincerely felt that women didn't need equal rights, uh they if they were semi thoughtful they argued that the Fourteenth Amendment due process clause uh provided some protections, but they did not see the need to put it in the constitution mm-hmm. uh, Phyllis schlafly and her colleagues at the Eagle Forum used tactics like unisex bathrooms and and um how much, how much would be lost if, um, if women had equal rights. And again, I have a biased perspective, but I think the proponents felt that the 14th amendment did not give adequate protection and that, um, Senator by, as you probably remember, and Larry Conrad his staff person drafted the amendment. Yeah. And, um, and the Democratic Party had access to all of the congressional legislative record. And, uh, and my arguments were based on the law. Mm-hmm. And um, I did have a unique argument that I argued on the final day of passage. And I argued when I debated Phyllis Schlafly, which was that uh, there were two paragraphs to the amendment. The first paragraph stated what the amendment was, and the second paragraph said this amendment shall take effect two years after ratification. Mm -hmm. And I argued that it was the second sentence or paragraph that was the most important,
0: uh, because even those who feared the ERA the most would have two years to get ready for it. Yeah. Or as if the Supreme Court someday voted 5 to 4, that the 14th Amendment did mean equal rights, it would go into effect that day. Yeah, yeah. However, nobody was persuaded by any argument. Okay. Interesting. We won because we had the votes and we had the power to bring it to the floor. Right. I do thank the I do thank the
1: Republicans in the House. Get some credit. I think Kermit Burroughs was the speaker, and so the Republican House passed it and sent it to us. So it wasn't totally partisan.
2: Right.
0: And uh, yeah. So after you finally got it passed, uh, you know, what was your reaction to that? After all the work you put into it. Well, the media at the time, I
2: think, characterized my reaction wrongly, but uh, you know that
1: doesn't doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it, I, I guess there was some sense of relief and accomplishment, mm-hmm. but, but honestly, I looked to what was next. Since I was majority leader, mm-hmm. I had to look at what was next coming up on the floor, and yeah. and I I did not do any interviews and. Um, so it, once it was over, it was over.
0: Mhm. So there was a an old. I'm not sure actually how old, but there's an Indie Star article that I I found that that said that you uh, called the passing of the ERA uh, Indiana's finest hour. Is that true?
1: Yes, and and um, and I I sincerely meant it at the time and I mean it now because yeah. we were the we were the last state to ratify during the period Congress set for ratification and we we took all of the steps we took for history because it was unlikely it was going to be ever become law mm-hmm. within the ratification period. And some states had rescinded their ratification, yeah. and no one knew for sure whether, therefore, that meant that um, if, if a state ratifies and rescinds, which category are they in? Yeah. But we, went, we made the effort because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It was to put Indiana on the side of in the Journal of History that we support equal rights for women even though it was probably not going to
2: have the effect of law. In other words, you could
1: have argued that since it's, it's very, very unlikely the ERA is going to get the number of states required to ratify, mm-hmm. we still we still were proud to be on the side that did it anyway. And I think that's something people miss. About the legislative process, and they kind of define success by whether something actually becomes law and um, and there are all kinds of other messages that need to be
2: conveyed that whether or not it it uh, your side turns into immortal stone of law yeah
0: interesting so would you uh, deem that your proudest moment as a legislator? No, I don't think so. I feel good about it. Um, um,
2: I think my proudest moment as a legislator was was the number of really, really good friends mm, okay. I I had on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Fr-
1: Frank O'Bannon and I were roommates at the Indianapolis Athletic Club for seven of the eight years that I served and, um, wow. never met a finer person. And, um, so it, I would say, um,
2: um, having Frank O'Bannon in my life or Robert Orr, or John Mutz or Wayne Townsend or was, was the, was the greatest achievement having their respect.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, now, you mentioned uh, briefly a, l- a little bit earlier about how uh, it can be hard to change people's minds when it comes to voting on things. Uh, how common is it to be able to change people's minds, or does that not happen very often in your experience? Well, um, I don't know whether you're familiar with the term persuasion
1: or not. Yes. Okay, so there's a book, but called Persuasion, by Robert Cialdini, mm-hmm. and uh, the concept there is that before you ask for a, the vote of a colleague, or before you ask someone to buy your car or get married to you, you persuade them. Yeah. And uh, and so I don't think there's much changing of the mind of anybody in the legislature uh-huh. or anywhere else, for that matter, if you haven't uh, set the stage and persuaded them. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, in, in looking at my own voting pattern over those eight years, I could probably count on one hand the number of times someone said something or gave me a document um, that said my position should be changed and I changed it. I Mm -hmm. If the time to persuade somebody on how to vote is long before the session starts, it's not during the session. That's just almost impossible.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, What was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome during your time in office?
2: Mm,
1: I think I jumped most of them. Um, Probably that I um, had no intention of going along to get along. Okay, yeah there was an article in the Indianapolis News in my first year where I blasted the entire state senate. Oh, no. And uh, it came out about noon, I guess, uh, and uh, as the afternoon newspaper. And uh, someone copied it and put it on all of my colleagues' desks. So probably the biggest thing I had to overcome was
2: getting them to understand I was going to say what I thought and let the
1: chips fall where they may because that's not a very common practice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: you don't usually get ahead by critici- criticizing your colleagues.
0: <laughs> Typically not, yeah. Uh, so what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly?
1: Uh, well, I could I could give you lots of answers, but I'll stay with a one I believe in is relatively safe, and I would say funding education properly, protecting the environment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, operating under a, a code of ethics. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So now thinking about some. Uh, more specifics on different legislation that was going on that I, I found seemed to be popular in, among the media at the time. Uh, do you remember anything about the property tax control bill in 77?
1: Um, well, I can tell you a lot about the property tax bill that Governor Bowen got passed earlier than that, okay. um, which was, of course, extremely
0: controversial. Okay. Um, I don't remember much about the property tax protection bill, though. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So tell me about it.
0: Well, I was just seeing that uh, in 77 there was talks in the newspaper. There wasn't much information, unfortunately, but it did mention that you were critical of of a property tax control bill. Um, and it didn't give a ton of context to it, so it looked like it must have been something that was kind of off and on in the papers, but... Uh, well, it may
1: have spilled out from the 76th yeah, election. Yeah,
0: that's my guess, yeah.
1: When I was really... Uh, I had the un- enviable job as Democratic lieutenant governor... Right. ...candidate to take on Doc Bowen. Yeah. I remember going to Bremen, his hometown... And having to be critical of him. Oh wow! And um, and so, of course, most Democrats felt that the Bowen tax package, which doubled the sales tax in order to reduce property taxes, was was regressive. And Mm -hmm. I don't remember the details of the Protection Act, but if it was designed to protect what Governor Bowen did, I would. I was on record about a thousand times against that, so...
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, what, be, what about, do you remember anything about the lobbyist code of ethics?
1: Um, what year was that?
0: Um, it looks like it was also in 77, and there was a dispute over it.
1: Well, in 74 uh, or 75... I authored the um, legislative code of ethics for legislators. Uh, And obviously, lobbyists definitely needed an ethical code because, as I said, the president pro tem went to jail for taking a bribe. Yeah. Um, My guess, you know, I don't remember it, but my guess is that not very many lobbyists wanted to have to register and disclose things. Yeah and the Republicans yeah. maybe took their side. I, mm-hmm. uh, But those ethics bills, as, as well intended as they were, were riddled with loopholes.
2: So.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, do you remember anything about your proposal to guarantee electric service for people in Indiana? Um, well, I only remember it conceptually. Okay. Um. And as I said, there were many, many bills or resolutions or ideas I floated that um, made a statement. Not necessarily that I wanted them to become law. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I, I, I think in that time when Carter was president, um, interest rates went through the roof, mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I was probably concerned about the ability of the base of the Democratic Party to um, pay their electric bill, and I without going into a lot of detail, the utility commission that regulated rates was um, was problematic. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to go into a lot of detail, but sure yeah, no problem. but the yeah the regulation of utility rates in Indiana tended to favor the utilities. Mm -hmm. So that was probably where I was coming from.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, turning towards, I guess, the last sort of set of questions I have for you, um, remind me, when was your final year in the Indiana General Assembly?
1: 78.
0: Okay, and was that something that you just decided to stop running, or did you lose an election?
1: No, I lost the election. Yeah, okay. um, right. I had um, a primary opponent
2: mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I took a stand on a bill that um, many many democrats did not like and uh, yeah. And also at that time I felt like I had my father died in January 78.
0: Oh no. Uh, my last uh, year yeah. And with that, my motivation to have a political career uh, was
1: was uh, muted significantly. Yeah. And so we were we were planning to move to Colorado whenever my uh, uh, legislative career was over. And um, so I narrowly won the primary. Mm-hmm. Uh and then was defeated in the fall,
0: okay so overall, how would you describe or i'm sorry summarize your time as a legislator um well, as I've said, the friendships I made the effort that I made
1: to get into leadership and make a difference and um uh, um, it it probably created a network that has lasted all my
2: life. Yeah. As I look back on it, I'm glad I did it when I was so young because I was in at 28 and out at 36 and still had time for other careers.
0: Yeah, true.
1: Um, And a political career. Is uh, is something my father aspired to more than I did?
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Do you have a? It was great. It was great fun, but it was. uh, Mm -hmm. It took a tremendous amount of time and energy. Yeah, and you couldn't
2: Couldn't legally make any money. Yeah. Yeah. I think my pay in my
1: best year, even with leadership pay, was something like. Maybe ninety five hundred a year.
2: Wow. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you have a favorite story at all from your time in the general assembly?
1: I do, and it would, and and, it, and then I got to go, and it sounds like you are about done
2: anyway. Yeah.
1: My favorite story is how playful I was, and how. Um, willing to poke a finger in the eye of of uh, the process. So mm-hmm. it, my favorite story was um, in uh, January, Agnew was vice president still. So it was probably 73. I don't remember the exact year, but Agnew uh, was was vice president. He hadn't been thrown out yet. Okay, and uh, he had played golf at uh, Pebble Beach Pro Am, and um, he had hit a spectator, and so it made the national news, and um, and so each day when the Senate started the session, we would do the Pledge of Allegiance and establish a quorum, and then we would have resolutions like. Uh, congratulating the Anderson High School band. Yeah, yeah. Nobody paid any attention to them, so I had the, my staff draft a resolution banning Spiro Agnew from playing golf in Indiana for the safety of all Hoosiers. <laughs> That's funny. And so, and I alerted the AP reporter, and um, and and the Indianapolis Star and some of the other reporters yeah. To watch for this resolution because they were all adopted by voice vote. Yeah, okay. No, no debate, no anything. So we we start the session and people are milling around and and my resolution comes to the desk and it uh, the clerk reads a resolution by Senator Teague for the safety and welfare of all Hoosiers. <laughs> and so then they stop. They don't read yeah. the whole. Yeah, and Bob. Uh, um, let's see. Yeah, so, but when I think Bob Barr was lieutenant governor anyway, he, he was he was presiding, and he said all was in favor. I and you know we voted I. Mm-hmm. And on the CBS Evening News that night, Walter Cronkite ended his broadcast with an Indiana today. The State Senate banned Spiro Agnew from playing golf. <laughs> so that was that was my favorite moment.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty funny. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Well,
1: I know that you got to go
0: here, so I guess I'll just wrap this up with just one last question. Um, what do you want Hoosers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly?
1: Well, there are lots of standard, pat answers I could give. Yeah. And I'm sure you've received a lot of those. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, if they care passionately about a specific issue or a specific uh, office holder or a specific party, uh, that they should band together with people who feel that way, mm. and uh, and try to make a difference. Uh, unfortunately, I feel that um, it's harder and harder to to do that. But I I certainly my my son just wrote a two page letter to Senator Gardner mm. out here in Colorado regarding the uh, nomination by Trump of the yeah yeah and so my son's still trying. my son is still making his voice heard mm-hmm. and I think it's important for the person to be heard even if no one seems to be listening,
0: yeah, 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 definitely well,
1: well I you're doing this project, and um yeah and i i uh I don't know if very many people besides scholars will will look at this but mm-hmm. at that period uh, when I was there in the subsequent years some people have sacrificed greatly to serve the state of
2: Indiana
0: yeah absolutely well thank you so much for taking part in this I appreciate you taking the time uh, to do an interview with me but uh, yeah thank you so much for doing this this was great, uh, I really appreciate it it's going to be really interesting I think for Anyone who wants to use them, so.
2: Okay, good to talk to
0: you. All right, take care.